Thank you, worship team, music team, for leading us in singing. As we finish off our sermon series in songs, songs for the journey, this is, uh, we're going to say this is an extended summer, um, and that's okay, because school hasn't started yet, so that means it's still summer, right? So as we continue on and finish off our sermon series, we're going to be in Psalm 68. As we continue to worship our awesome God through the reading and the preaching of his word, that's Psalm 68. But as you get there, let me ask you a question. Does anyone here like to sing in the car? Sing in the car. Who likes to sing in the car? Come on, be honest. No one listens. All right. I do. It's actually really the only way I sing is in the car. Or on church on Sunday. But I sing in the car. I enjoy it. I get my music. My wife often says, I can hear you playing that music as you leave the, car, the, the house. You know, in my car as I drive away because I like it loud. But I like to sing. I like to sing in the car. But let me ask you this. What brings you to sing? What makes you sing? When you sing those songs, depending upon what type it is, is what are they? You know, I like to sing, obviously. I, I generally listen to more of the uh, Christian side of things on the, on the worship side. And one of the reasons why I love to sing is those because it, it sings praises to my God. It reminds me of who he is and what he has done for me. So I praise him and I sing these song, those songs. And in Psalm 68, it is written by King David himself uh, as, as praise for God being king. That's why he writes it. He writes it to, to praise him. And God is pictured with some intense imagery as we begin to read it through. He is a king who rode majestically before the Israelites as they came out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised lands. This is a song that you can picture is being sung by the people as a ritual procession as the Ark of the Covenant finally comes into Jerusalem where it will finally rest on Mount Zion. As we look at this psalm, we see three ways that David celebrates God, starting generally with triumphs, of God then moves more specifically with a celebrating the journey from Egypt to the promised land. And as David closes his song, David looks at how God has established himself among his people. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 68, the word of the Lord says this, God shall arise, his enemies shall scatter, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the, solitary in, uh, settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, by the rebellious, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went bef- out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, 
the God of Israel. Reign in abundance, O God, who you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as, as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The woman who announced, who announced the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver and pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings through, let snow fall on Zalamon. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan. O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousands, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascend on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God will dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs deliverance from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood at the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them, virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them, in the lead. The princes of Judah in their throng. The princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power of O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of the bulls which the calves of the people trample underfoot. Those who lust after tribute scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt, and Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens and the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for today. And as we continue to praise you, Lord, I pray that you indeed are glorified. I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you and praise you and praise your name, just like we have read already. Lord, I can't do this on my own, so by your spirit, I want you to preach this sermon with what is needed. God, please use this sermon to bring glory to your name above all things. Glory to your name. Bring joy to your people and salvation to the lost. Amen.
So, what brings you to praise God? It's a long psalm, but I was talking with a songwriter this week, and I think I asked the question, what's it like to, bring, uh, to have one of your songs just one stanza talked about? He's like, oh, that's not good. So let's read the whole thing. The Psalm 68, and as we look in those first few six verses, in those first six verses, we see, let us praise him for who he is. Let us praise him for who he is in verses 1 to 6. Now faith, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We, all re- we really need to, uh, to picture what David is picturing as he is writing out this song. As David is writing this song, he is picturing back to when Moses led Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. Out from Sinai with the Ark of the Covenant, the footstool of God's throne on earth, going before his people. In Numbers 10, verses 35, we see Moses saying this thing every day. Every day. In Numbers 10, verse 35, he says, And whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Every day. And you can see David echoing those same things in that verse, that first verse there. And when the ark would come to its resting place after traveling with the people of God, Moses would again cry in verse 36 of, of Numbers 10. And then it rested and he said, return, O Lord, to the ten thousands, thousands of Israel. Imagine that with every step. Every day of Israel's wandering in the desert, they would hear those words being cried out by Moses. But now David is bringing up the ark to its final resting place in Jerusalem. He's completing the Exodus several hundred years after it began. And that's what we see in Psalm 68 verse 1. We see David is announcing with confidence in the God, the same thing that Moses announced so many years ago. And that's what we see in verse 1. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. <clears throat> but he also prays with that second part of that verse, and those who hate him shall flee before him. So when David saw that ark, as he saw that ark marching up the streets of Jerusalem to where it would finally rest, his dwelling place with God's people, it proved one very important thing. It proved that Moses' prayers had been answered and gave a strong incentive for a new generation of the people of God to call on him for salvation. God's prayer, uh, Moses' prayer had been answered. And David prays the same thing. The praise that we see here comes out of the fact of who God is, what he has already proven himself to be, and giving a hope for the future. It's with looking at who God is that David is completely confident that God will do what he said he will do. And David uses pictures to describe the overwhelming power of of who God is. In verse 2 you say, As smoke is driven away, So you shall drive them away. I love having campfires. It's one of those things. You follow me on Instagram, that's what I do. I take pictures of my fire pit. And my kids sometimes, but mostly my fire pit. 
and, uh, and you're just sitting there, and you can, it, the smoke comes in, comes into your eyes, and what do you do? Just grab something heavy, and you start waving it, and the smoke disappears. It's gone. And as wax melts before a fire, so the wicked shall perish before a God. How often are you discouraged by the apparent power of those who seem to be against God? I get discouraged every once in a while. But verse 1 says, when God arises, he hasn't even done anything. The only thing he's doing is standing up. These threats are like smoke that disappear with a strong wind and like wax melting before a hot fire. Times will be hard. But what does this show those who are in Christ? For those who trust God, we don't need to be disheartened by what we see in the world and its apparent power. God, the creator of the universe, has pledged himself to his people for their protection and care. Think about the imagery that this psalm is, is creating in the mind as, as they begin to sing it. These are songs that they, were, that they would sing in the temple. These are actual songs. And think about the imagery the psalm is bringing to God's people that help them to have a confidence in God, to, in God to arise. When Israel faced the uncrossable Red Sea, as God was bringing them out of Egypt to the promised land, what did God do? He divided the sea so that they could cross on dry land. As God was bringing them across that dry land, and as the chariots and the Pharaoh's army was chasing after them with, 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 with swords and bows drawn, what did God do? He collapsed the water on them, and the whole army was destroyed. God drowned them in his wrath. John Calvin put it this way, There is no such strength in our enemies as we suppose how easily God can overthrow the mechanation of our enemies. Really, is there anyone who can stand against God? I know we live in a time where we're wondering if it's a virus or if it's uh, jobs or if it's health or whatever it may be. I know that we are standing against those things and we're wondering, God, can you use any of these things? This is why it's important to go back and remember. That is why this psalm does the same thing points back to how God has done this. There is nothing that can stand against our God. It's like smoke or wax. God answers his people's prayers for vindication as those who are the enemies are driven away and out. And as the enemies are driven away and out, the righteous shall be glad. That is the outcome of what is happening. It may look like God is asleep or laying still at this time in your life. And it's almost like all the haters out there are doing whatever they want. But there will be a time when he arises. When God rises, the enemy scatters. And David is reminding God's people that God's power over their enemies is like wind to smoke and fire to wax. The enemy is anything but solid. The invisible God is anything but absent. 
But this is a greater picture of what Christ accomplishes on the cross. He will defeat his enemies and has done exactly that. Sin and death and hell know the terror of our Lord's arm. Our Savior died for our sins and he rose again. For all those who repent of their sin and believe in the good news, our confidence in the victory is found in his victory, not mine. For you and me, for those who are in Christ, what does this mean for us? In Christ, we have an even greater reason for confidence than even David did in his time. We see, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, we see Jesus, the appointed atonement, clothed with glory and majesty, and before his advance, all opposition melts like snow in the sun. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. When he comes by his Holy Spirit, conquest is the result, but when he arises in person, his foes shall utterly perish nothing stands before our god when he arises he arises he scatters his enemies he does the work he doesn't we don't scatter the enemies he does we don't do any of the judging of the nations he does we wait in patience for what god will do and we do and we cry out those things lord jesus come quickly but not only does he scatter his enemies but with a tender hand he reaches out to gather his people in safety and comfort and we see that in verses 5 to 6 did you catch that father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in his home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in parched land. Home, do you understand the grace that God has poured out on you as his people? He stays true to his character. God is tender towards those who are his, who are the most afflicted. He takes those who seem to have nothing of a faithful father, and when they turn to him in faith, God gives them a fatherly love and affirmation and provision that they need. Look at the widows. Our world may cast off the widows, but our God takes notice of them and protects them. Look at the state of of Israel when they are in Egypt. They were slaves in the land that wasn't there. So God brings them into the promised land, blesses them with prosperity that goes beyond their even greatest imagination. This is the character of God. It is no different for God's church. Our God is unchanging. The God that we see in the New Testament is the God you see in the Old Testament. The God you see in the Old Testament is the God you see in the New Testament. There is only one God. He doesn't change. But God makes the church today a place where castoffs may find acceptance and where the fatherless and the widow find a family. In the gospel of his son, God grants freedom to those, those who, ha- who are sinners. And he blesses them and he takes them from a kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light. And if I have a proper understanding of who God is, as especially as we see here and what he has done for his people, what he has done for us, that should change how we interact with others, especially those in the church. There's a reason why Jesus says that they will know you by your love for one another. 
because it's an exemplification of who he is and what he has done for us. Look at what God has done. He didn't have to. He was well within his right to destroy us all, yet he sovereignly loved you. He plucked you out. He cleaned you up. And by what Christ has done on the cross, he made us his. So that anyone who repents of their sin and believes in the gospel that Christ has died for their sins and rose again will be saved. These few verses show us an amazing truth about God. He is mighty and gracious to save his people in all places and all times. God's plan of salvation calls for the wicked to be destroyed while God humble, God's humble people are exalted with Christ. God has pledged himself to overcome every opposition to our salvation. There's nothing that will stand in the way of God saving someone. Look at what he has done in the guilt of your sin. He has removed it by sending his son to die on the cross for your sins. And God just doesn't leave us there with a removal of our guilt and shame before him. He sends the Holy Spirit who empowers us for faith and godliness until the day when those who are in Christ will reign with Christ as co-heirs. It is this that causes David to to praise God in verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt him. Exalt before him. We praise God for who he is. As we see in the word, why do I sing these songs? I don't sing these songs necessarily because they make me feel good. They do. Right? I, I love singing. I think... I don't think I know the Bible calls us to sing. Christianity is a singing religion. We're called to sing. It doesn't matter how well you sing, we're called to sing. But we praise God for who he is and what he has done for us. But in verses 7 to 18, we, say, we see that let us praise him for what he has done. For the rest of this song, David shows God's great saving work. It points our eyes from our circumstances and changes our perspective so that we can praise him with certainty of what he will do in the future. He is God. He is God with us. God marches from Sinai, we see in verses 7 to 10, and David points the people to to how God leads his people through the wilderness. Not only did God give them a place to live, but he also makes them fruitful, 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 it's not a word, fruitful where they are. David gives this this amazing uh, collage of pictures of all that God has done. His exodus that provided God's blessing is guiding and caring for his people. Even more than that, in verses 9 and 10, we see God provides for the needs of his people. He says, Reign in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restore your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provide for the needy. See, what David is pointing, what David is painting for us this morning as we read this song is that God's saving blessings are with his people even when, uh, even when there is trouble in life. See, God dwells with his people. You've got to think about it. And if you remember your Bible stories, why was Israel wandering in the desert? Why were they in the wilderness wandering around? 
It was because of their disobedience. They weren't just wandering around there because God lost his way. God was disciplining them as they were walking through the wilderness. But you know what's amazing about that? God was still there, walking with them, dwelling with them, as he brought them through that disciplining part. It would have been hard, hard, even providing for them in ways where their clothes wouldn't, wouldn't wear out, giving them food even though they complained, giving them water even though they complained. God was still there walking with them as he was disciplining them. But God disciplines and trains his people for the sake of their high and holy calling, making them walk through that time. But through all of that, God was still with them, personally guiding them and tending to them because he sovereignly loved them. And David ends his first part of this song with, where, where Paul quotes it in Ephesians 4, verse 8, to talk about Jesus ascending to heaven after his resurrection. Paul points Paul's point is that the Ark of the Covenant's journey out of Egypt through the desert in the company of God's very tired people was a picture of Jesus' birth as a man and his life of poverty and weakness on the way to his return to heaven in the glory of his resurrection and ascension. Christ cast down the curse of sin, taking the judgment of the law against his, against his people and even led death into captivity so that it is no longer able to harm his blood-bought people. David again reminds us of what God has done. Oh God, when you went out before your people. If you look at the history that David is showing us, as he takes, as God takes this ragtag band of warriors from a weak and persecuted people to execute this plan, God surrounds himself with orphans, widows, and outcast prisoners, poor, unwise, and weak sinners. Christ will bring humiliating defeat to hell itself. Think about what God has done through his people. Have hope in him for the future. And as the psalmist brings the singers to the climax of the song with the, with the high mountain, you, you see how God continues to give us reason to praise him because in the last part of 1935, it says, let us praise him because he is with us. So David wrote this song out of his rejoicing of the Ark of the Covenant coming to Jerusalem. It was the act that David knew that God had finally established his people to rest in the promised land. In this last section, we're called to praise him because God is with his people. We see in verse 19, God God daily bears us up. God cares for his people and is constantly in touch with our needs. Isaiah 46, verses 1 to 4, Isaiah points out how the idols of other people don't care about their worshipers, but God does. As it says, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things who carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnants of the house of Israel. 
who have been born by me from before your birth. Carry from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you, I will bear you, I will carry you, and will save. In verse 20, we see that God is the God of salvation. God saves his people from sickness and from death and battle. In Christ Jesus, his people learn that he, by his resurrection, delivers from death by obtaining eternal life for them. We have a God who is with us, not some abstract old man sitting on some throne up in the heavens somewhere. We have a God who's with us, a father of the fatherless and a protector of the widows. I was listening to a song this week and one of, the, one of the verses said this, in the longing of our souls in the darkness where we go, you are there, you are love, you are altogether good. In the weakness of our faith, in the silence where we wait, you are here, you're enough, you're altogether good. We praise him, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. You are my you are my more, holy, present, and pure. You are altogether good. Let us as a church trust him and call on him in prayer. Which is why we're having a week of prayer next week. As we gather to reflect upon who God is and what he has done for us, we can cry out for him, to him. So what you may be asking, why do you sing praise songs to God? What brings you to praise? Notice at no time do I say you need to be in a certain mood in order to praise our God. We praise God because he protects weaklings and pursues nobodies like you and me. That's why we praise God. And as a Christian looks to heaven and when we bring to realize that our Savior is there in glory and power with authority that has been given to him over all things for the church, we should have the same joyful peace and satisfaction that David had. With Jesus at the Father's right hand, God is with us. With Jesus eternally presenting the wounds of his eternal death for our sins, our forgiveness is forever secure. We have been adopted as God's children in Christ. We will forever have God's fatherly love and protection. And with Jesus who intercedes for us, our prayers will be received. This is Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Listen to me, and listen to me very closely. If God proved his saving commitment to David through the Exodus, how much more has God proved the sufficiency of his grace for us through offering his son to die for our sins? How much more? If you believe in the truth that Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven for your salvation, just like how David rejoiced as the ark was coming into Jerusalem, that belief will change everything about your life. Everything. We will want to have closer communion with God 
who has not only made his home among us, but actually comes to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sends. Think about this. The baby who was born in some little town called Bethlehem, who grew up living a sinless life, who suffered and was forsaken for our sin, is now enthroned as the Lord of glory. Through faith, how can we not rejoice in serving the the call of Christ? We serve Christ knowing that he is here with us now and that one day we will be with him soon. Jesus Christ will descend one last time to take us to himself so that we may ascend with him to dwell in the house of our God. We praise God because he protects weaklings and pursues nobodies like you and me. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and what you have done. We thank you that you are the God who who cares for us deeply. Who, who daily bears us up, who is the God of our salvation, who is alone the deliverer from death. Jesus Christ, as we continue to praise you, I pray that we would be reminded of what you have done for us and that, that would cause us to lift you up and praise you today in the midst of anything that is going on in our lives. God, if there's people here who do not know you, I pray that, they, that you would call them to yourself, that they may know you and know what it means to praise you in all circumstances. And amen.